Good day. Welcome back to the 80 Acres Podcast. I'm your host, Ice Wolf. And today is going to be our temporary wrap-up on rifle talk. And ultimately, that's what we're going to end this little three-episode series with, is just ultimately how to ensure your rifle's performance. The first item that can help improve your rifle's performance is the barrel length. Typically, the more length you have on a rifle barrel, the better the velocity you can obtain. Typically, it amounts to a difference of 25 feet per second per inch of barrel, ultimately meaning that if you increase the length of your barrel, you'll gain 25 to 50 feet per second, depending on the cartridge, per inch of barrel. But if you start subtracting, then you lose 25 to 50 feet per second per inch of barrel loss. The next item pertaining to rifle performance is twist rate. Ultimately what twist rate is, is the amount of length of barrel it takes to complete one full rotation of the projectile. So let's say if your rifle has a 1 in 10 twist, one rotation will take 10 inches of barrel to complete. Conversely, if you have a 1 in 8 twist, same deal. One rotation takes 8 inches of barrel. Twist rate ultimately affects the projectile as heavier projectiles prefer faster twist rated barrels, which would answer why, let's say for 30-06, some rifles shoot 180 grains better than 165, but conversely, some other rifles will shoot 165 grain projectiles better than 180. Keep in mind that the length of barrel also will help stabilize a projectile especially if it's a 1 and 8 twist with a 26 inch barrel, well, you're probably going to be able to get almost, or if not, for sure, three full rotations of that projectile, making it very stable once it leaves the barrel. Keep in mind that twist rate also will help stabilize certain projectiles, such as a high ballistic coefficient target projectile and a copper alloy projectile for hunting. Now, while on the topic of barrels, heavy barrels, and fluted barrels help dissipate heat. Heavy barrels require a lot more heat to be able to create distortion, ultimately making them feasible options for target shooting where a, tar- a shooter might be shoot- shooting about 20 to 50 rounds in a sitting. Comparatively, fluting does that somewhat, adding that little bit extra surface area, but it only gives maybe one or two extra shots before distortion kicks in. Distortion is ultimately when a projectile loses inherent accuracy because of the heat being given off by the barrel and ultimately prints all over the page and is considered very inaccurate. And if you're a hunter out there, when distortion starts taking effect, well, that could mean either you hit the game ethically or you miss entirely. The next item that affects rifle rifle performance is ultimately the action. This is not as big as a factor comparative to what I'm going to be saying next. But in some cases, like let's say a Remington 700 action, it does require accurizing in order to be usable in some cases, but it's not necessary when compared to the next two items. The first of which is ammunition selection. Obviously, tailor-made ammunition 
made specifically for one rifle will always outperform any sort of box ammunition. But with that being said, box ammunition has been getting a lot better. I'm pointing to Hornady's Precision Hunter, the Federal Terminal Ascent, and pretty much any black box nozzler ammunition is extremely, extremely good. It's to the point now where they're not exactly hand-loaded, not exactly tailor-made for a specific rifle, but their quality control is extremely high, and it shows in the, in the performance of their ammunition through a variety of firearms. But then again, when in doubt, hand-load. Item number two has been the biggest issue for rifle performance is stock fit. If the stock does not fit, then ultimately it's not going to perform as well as how it should. But from a safety consideration, if a stock doesn't fit a particular user, then he or she who is shooting that firearm truly does not have full control of over the weapon. So if it does not fit, modify it. Modify it by lengthening or having to shorten the length of pull, adding a recoil device, or just making the stock overall more stable by adding things like silicone to the rear of the stock, bedding the action, giving it a bit of rigidity will help deal with that. A good way to tell fitment is to shoot a group out of a leaflet or, or bench comparative to a front rest with, with your hands and body ultimately supporting the rear. If the groups are similar, fitment is good. If it is not, the user ultimately has to assess all points of contact. If a stock is too long, it'll feel like it's like the user's reaching for all the controls, such as the trigger, the safety. That's no good. At that point, cut the stock a little bit to fit the particular user or order a custom stock for it. Boys offers lots of uh, different lengths of pull or have a chassis system where it's adjustable. This option is ultimately only an option if it's too long, but let's say the, the rifle's too short for you. You feel squishy. Everything is too close together, too, too close, very, very, like I said, squishy. Then that's when you need that chassis system or that custom length of pull to ultimately help make the firearm fit. Before I move on to other considerations for ensuring a rifle's performance. Stock fitment is ultimately the, like I said, the only point of contact the user will have. If it doesn't fit or if it doesn't feel comfortable, that's no bueno. That's, that's like I said earlier, can be considered a safety hazard because if the person using the firearm doesn't feel comfortable using it, and I'm not talking about, oh, being scared of the weapon, I'm talking about proper fitment, then ultimately that becomes a safety risk on the range, in the field, and anywhere that person is handling that particular firearm. By modifying it, by modifying the stock, by picking either a chassis system, an aftermarket stock, or 
adding things like uh, a cheek plate or having to cut down the back of the stock just a smidge just so it fits ultimately will make the firearm more safe for use by that particular person. For those who may be confused, I'm only referring to trimming the rear of the stock of a typical rifle. An inch, maybe two, just for fitment, especially if it's too long. I am not referring to the traditional sawed-off style, similar to a uh, sawed-off shotgun, where it's sawed off at the location where the, uh, the rear hand rests. Ironically enough, this is a great segue into the next portion of this episode, which is just common firearms terms. Some people get these right and know how to use them properly. Lots do not. <laughs> and it's ironic because some of these individuals consider themselves professionals. So we'll get started with cartridge. This is the physical item you can hold. This is the piece of brass that is holding the fresh primer, the powder, and the projectile together. This is the physical round you hold. Chambering is ultimately what the barrel accepts for a cartridge. So ultimately this is the spot in the rifle where the cartridge sits when the bolt is closed and is discharged from. It's that very first, depending on your cartridge, three to three and a half, maybe four inches of length of that first bit of barrel. That's where the cartridge, sit, cartridge sits and that is what is called the chamber. Or chamber if you want to go sing, singular use. Now many have confused these, both of these ironically enough with the term caliber which is ultimately the diameter of the barrel. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen who are listening out there in podcast land, 30-06 is not a caliber. It is a cartridge and a chambering. 30 caliber measured to 0.308 of an inch is a caliber. 300 wind mag is not a caliber. 30, cal is the ca uh, 30 caliber is the caliber, but... 300 wind mag is the round, the cartridge, the chambering. And this is what a lot of people, including the professionals, okay, some professionals, get confused about. So to reiterate, because this is ultimately very important, caliber is just the diameter of the barrel. So for your 30 odd 6, 308 Winchester, 300 wind mag, 300 ROM, any of those guys, the caliber is the barrel diameter of that barrel is considered 30 caliber, measuring out to 0.308 of an inch. It is not the case or the chambering. And now we're moving down into the barrel a little bit. Now we're getting the projectile is almost ready to leave, but in order for it to leave, it needs to have rifling. There are two things that make up rifling. First one's the land, which is the pieces of the barrel that cut directly into the projectile and the grooves which are the spaces between the land. Rifling can be denotated by some by the number of lands 
and the rotation of, of, of the rifling. So for example, a 5R rifled barrel, which is considered by many to be the quintessential target barrel, has five lands, and the direction of rotation is a right-hand turn, which indicates clockwise. Other rifles may have a 6R, a six lands right clockwise turn, or it could even have a 6L counterclockwise rotation. Now the rifling can, rifling can either be button, which is your traditional stereotypical rifling. It's a very defined type of rifling. And there's also polygonal. I would throw the Schillen Ratchet 4 style ra rifling and anything made by Glock in the polygonal section of rifling because it's not truly defined but it's still effective at twisting the projectile to get it stabilized before it leaves the barrel. Other terms include projectile which is just the bullet that gets fired out of the cartridge and powder which is the let's just be perfectly honest it's self-explanatory it's the thing that makes it go boom. It's the propellant that makes the projectile leave the barrel. There are typically three types of powder one can acquire for anything rifle or pistol or shotgun. The first type is cylindrical. This is your typical round stick powder. This powder is very stable throughout a variety of temperatures. So ultimately, cylindrical powder, think H4350, IMR 4064, IMR 4350, any of the stick powders and uh, you know what I'll even throw the R reloader series in from Alliance in, in that group of powders. The second most common type of powder is bomb. This is pretty easy because the, the powder looks like little balls, little balls in your measuring cup. This is a very easy powder to meter out, very easy to deal with. But it's not as temperature, it is definitely not temperature sensitive like the cylindricals. Think ultimately H380, Winchester 760, Winchester 780, the uh, Power Pro line of powders from Alliance. Those are ball powders. Now there's a additional type of ball powder out there. It's called crack. It ultimately it's somebody ultimately just took a hammer and flattened the the little ball ball powders and made them flat. That's cracked ball powder. Nothing more to that. The third and final type of powder is flake. As it said, it's flakes. It's just round little flakes. This is most common in shotgun powders. So think 700X. Think red dot, green dot, and potentially blue dot. I forget if blue dot is flake or if it's a, a mix of ball, ball and flake. But regardless, a lot of the faster burning powders that are required for shotgun use and pistol use will be either flake or ball. Now that I've gone through all the, the three types and types of powder, 
Well, now we get to talk about the fun, the little bit more fun stuff. It's a lot less tedious than picking gunpowders, and that is ultimately picking a projectile. Oh boy, I opened that can of worms. The only reason why I say that is because compared to powder, well, there's only really three types of powder you can pick from. There are seven different types of projectiles that a person can pick from. And we'll get started with the first one, the target bullet. This is typically used at the range. This is not a projectile that should be used for hunting. Like Its expansion rate is very fast and, will, and has very terrible energy transfer from the projectile to the target. But because of the high ballistic coefficient and its inherent accuracy, it makes the tar the target bullet also make ultimately makes a great choice for a range day type of ammunition. Seeing Cornati ELDM, AMAC, Nozzers RDF, Barnes Match Burner, any of the any of those kinds of bullets, the target bullets they're they're ultimately ultimately made for having good accurate ammunition out to good distance. And while we're on the topic of range day ammunition, we're going to talk about full metal jackets. This one literally has no other use than to be range ammunition, because full metal jacket never expands. And this is typically found in military surplus ammunition or ammunition such as American Eagle. Now we're going to move from range day ammunition more to hunting style ammunition. We're going to start off with the basic soft point. It's like it's very basic. It's ultimately what everybody starts hunting with. This is the most basic type of projectile anybody can get. They're cheap but yet can be very effective but at the same time keep in mind whether you're using a basic soft point with no bow tail or a bow tail soft point the rate the weight retention will not be there when compared to other projectiles we'll be talking about later but this is a good way to get into hunting or if somebody doesn't need high-end ammunition this is the type of pro projectile to look look for either in box ammunition or if you're making your own think projectiles such as the spear grand slam Sierra Game King, the Hornady basic soft point, and the Bowtail soft points, and Nozzer's partition. And next, as evolution always goes, next is the polymer tipped soft point. Ultimately, the biggest difference between this guy and our old, our old style soft points are ultimately there's a nice polymer tip on it to give it that little bit extra ballistic coefficient. So think Chip Game King, Game Kings, think Hornady SSPs, think Nozzler Ballistics Tips and Nozzler Acubons. I know everybody's going to sit there and go, oh, the Acubon's a, in, a, in its own class. No, it's not. It's the only difference between the Ballistic Tip and the Acubon, it's other than color of the polymer tip, is ultimately the lead, the copper jacket is bonded to the lead in the Acubond where it's not in the ballistic tip. And while I'm on the topic of Nozzer ballistic tip versus Acubond, ultimately here's a tip for all you guys listening out there in podcast land. 
if you are developing load specifically for an Acubon, use the ballistic tips. First off, the ballistic tips are way cheaper to shoot, just to develop a load com when compared to the Acubon. And number two, there's no structural difference between the ballistic tip and the Acubon. They're all the same shape, they're all the same size, and most of the time they're the same weight, depending as to which weight class you go. So just a little tip for you, for you ladies and gentlemen out there in podcast land to help you save a bit of money before you go out on a hunt where you're trying to develop a good load. The next type of hunting projectile that is starting to become very popular is the long range style soft points. This is the, net, the third step in this sort of evolution. So ultimately these long range hunting projectiles are high in ballistic coefficient but yet have controlled expansion when they get to 600 yards and are still able to efficiently transfer energy from the projectile to the game itself. When I think of this class, I ultimately think of three different types of projectiles. I ultimately think of the burgers. Anything made by burger typically has a good ballistic coefficient. I also think of the Hornady ELDX and the Nosler Long Range Acubon. Those are just three uh, of the more common types of long range projectiles. And ultimately this whole genre came about when some specific hunting show hosts started pushing the limits of the rifle and it ultimately has turned into a big, uh, let's just say a big uh, challenge, I guess you could say, to be able to take a deer or any other game out past 500 yards. But as a caveat, if you are listening to this podcast and know of a lot of people who do long range hunting, please make sure you're being ethical make sure your rifle's definitely set in properly and make sure that you are comfortable with taking game at that distance efficiently ultimately think if you can't do a one shot you shouldn't be pulling the trigger the sixth type of projectile is the copper alloy ultimately think barnes x bullets ttsx tsx lrx the Nosler E-tip and the Hornady GMX. These types of projectiles kind of mold the world of full metal jacket with soft points. Ultimately, these are hollow point projectiles that once hit, once they hit the target, they expand into four petals, and once it is it, the projectile has expanded to the base of the hollow point, it behaves like a full metal jacket. This ultimately helps with causing a, as much blunt trauma as possible when compared to a lead projectile. But the caveat is they're super expensive. They are very, very expensive not only to buy in the box, but to buy to, re to make handloads with. But while I'm on the topic of long range hunting, these are the projectiles I would pick. If I had to do any sort of long range hunting, 
these copper alloy projectiles don't require a lot of force to start expansion, but yet still can carry and transfer energy efficiently throughout the entire ca cavity of the N1 shooting, ultimately making these the, the copper alloy probably the, the best choice for hunting at any sort of distance. And the very last type of projectile is one not many people really care to talk about, and that's the varmint type of bullet. These varmint bullets are very fast to expand and in some cases will completely disintegrate. But, like, like the title says, it's for varmints, they're for gophers, they're for coyotes, they're not for big game hunting. They expand way too fast and way too early. So when that happens, all your energy is concentrated before the vital organs in the muscle. And they're just not effective. But put them in a little 223 or a 22250 for an uh, afternoon of gophers or coyote hunting. These are the projectiles you want if you're going for those ki that kind of game. But it, in some cases, the varmint projectile is better than the target projectile. And yes, I've used varmint projectiles as target rounds as well. All I have to do is remind myself of the Hornady Amax versus the Hornady Z-Max in 52-53 grain projectile class, where the 53 grain D-Max has a ballistic coefficient of 0 0.290 versus the 52 grain Amax has, I think is, and do not quote me on this, but I do believe the 52 grain Amax had a 0.235 ballistic coefficient, which was very similar to the ELDM in that same weight class. Now I'm going to link all this back because all of this that I've been discussing between powders and projectiles, they affect the rifle's ability to perform as well. If you don't pick the right projectile, it's not going to perform to what your expectations are. But the final item that will affect any sort of rifle or pistol or shotgun performance is keeping it clean. Any firearm that is not clean, it's going to be a little bit harder to get ultimate performance out of. Items such as copper fouling in rifles. Copper fouling, if one does not know what that term is, is ultimately when the copper from your projectile starts to fill in in the grooves between the lands, ultimately, ultimately making it just one one unit so there won't be any rifling in that barrel and then as far as a dirty barrel well just clean it out after you're done hunting after you're done a day of target shooting sit down clean the barrel and every time you do that it keeps it nice ready for the next time and it will retain a lot of its inherent accuracy because guess what your lands and grooves are cleaned off and that's what ultimately will make any sort of projectile, regardless of what type of projectile you want to shoot, it will have that rifle barrel clean is ultimately the only solution to any of the any of the issues one may, might encounter with accuracy or performance.
Plus, from a safety standpoint, if a rifle isn't clean, then you don't know what's going to happen. Right? So, keep your rifle clean so then that way malfunctions don't happen. Make sure the rifle's clean to ensure that that rifle's shooting the way it's supposed to. And yeah, you're going to find lots of enjoyment out of, out of that rifle. So, some things you might want to consider in order to help keep your rifle clean. A cleaning kit. Just a basic cleaning kit to get started. Pair it with a nitro solvent such as the Hops or the Ampro 9, Otters, etc. That cleans off everything. I also prefer to use a copper solvent while I'm cleaning my rifle to get rid of all the, any of that copper fouling. Keeping my rifling nice, nice and crisp. And then you'll also need things like patches to clean out the barrel, swab, anything anything that is disposable, make sure you pick up to be able to clean. And ultimately, oil. Oiling parts such as the bolt, good idea, keeps it nice and smooth. Oiling any sort of moving parts, especially if you have your rifle stock off, oiling the trigger good idea and oiling the rails that the uh, bolt sits on and rides on is another good option to ultimately help keep a rifle clean and safe for use there is one type of solvent I have heard of some using to help clean their guns and that is brake clean I do not recommend recommend using brake clean on areas that are or that contain rubber brake clean is very notorious for eating away rubber on things like wheel cylinders and brake calipers because brake clean is ultimately an automotive cleaner it's specifically designed to clean brake parts hence the name brake clean but you can still use brake clean in the firearms world just make sure you're not using it on anything that contains rubber because it'll dry out and you're going to have to replace those seals if you can. So just be very weary with using things like automotive brake clean. And well, that ends this episode of the 80 Acres Podcast. I hope you guys learned something of value. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, next episode will be something not rifle related. Because let's be perfectly honest, three episodes of just rifle talk. We're an outdoor show, not just rifle. So next episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk about other outdoor activities one can find enjoyment in. But until next time, this is Ice Cold saying, guess what? Eagles still have it right. Take it easy.